Thank you, Chris, and thank you, worship ministry. I would invite you to take your copy of our Lord's Word and turn to Ecclesiastes chapter 3. Ecclesiastes chapter 3. I uh, shared last week that I was going to do a three-part series on the soul, and last week was number one. But one of the things that I really enjoy after church and after preaching is meeting with you and talking with you and occasionally that's about the sermon and the direction of the scripture and stuff like that and last week following last week's sermon of course I have not told him this but last week's sermon Senator Wicker and I had just a brief conversation about where the series might go and he said have you considered Ecclesiastes 3 and I had considered it for some supporting passages but the more I thought about it and I got to reading it uh, I felt like we should go here today. So this is going to be a four-part series, and you all can blame it on Senator Wicker. But um, anyway, I was, I was blessed by the encouragement to go to Ecclesiastes 3. But I'd invite you to go there with me today. And before we do, I want to kind of map out where we're going here in the next few months. So next Sunday night, next Sunday night begins our Sunday evening series. Now, I know uh, there was word on the street, and of course the word on the street was because I put it out there, that we were going to do a study on the book of Leviticus. So, um, well, I've had a lot of feedback from you all. Um, <laughs> some weeping and gnashing of teeth, probably more like it. And um, so we're going to put that on hold for a little while. So I'm doing a series on freedom, the origin story of freedom as it's found in the Bible. And we're going to look at how the freedom and the message of freedom is traced through the scripture and building as a concept and how it affects us to this day. So Leviticus, freedom, so everyone can be here next week and enjoy it. And uh, there, again, I, I want to be a good listener as a pastor, and then also I want to be a good husband. It was actually a, about three weeks ago that my wife said, really? I mean, really, Matt? Like... So, in Leviticus is definitely the word of God. I think it was not her confidence in, uh, lack of confidence in Leviticus. It was probably her lack of confidence in my ability to make Leviticus understandable just because of just the way Leviticus is. But, so we will be there on Sunday evenings next week. Now, at, beginning on February the 5th, on Sunday mornings, we're going to begin a series on family, marriage and the family, a guide to move beyond surviving and thrive. So that will begin February the 5th. So for the rest of January, we are going to be together and looking at this series on soul power, looking at the soul together. And that's where we are today. So hopefully that information is helpful to you. Ecclesiastes chapter number 3, verses 9 through 13. Ecclesiastes chapter 3, verses 9 through 13, as our message this morning is titled, Longing for Home. Now, as we begin, just as a reminder of what Ecclesiastes is, is that we don't know exactly who wrote it. It is historically accredited to Solomon, even though we don't know for sure. It certainly sounds like it would be written by Solomon, and I think it's safe to assume that, even though we can't actually iron it out and say we know for absolute certain. But we do know that it's a part of the inspired Word of God. Now, when you read Ecclesiastes, Ecclesiastes is a very honest book. 
I mean, it says things in there that you would be kind of shocked and surprised that they're there in the Bible. There's several occasions where it says, eat, drink, and be merry, because there's nothing better that a man can do. Had somebody come up to me afterwards and said, I love this verse. <laughs> um, well, yeah, amen. But, you know, there's a little more context that goes with that. But also, Ecclesiastes can be a bit pessimistic. Now, Ecclesiastes is grouped together in what is called wisdom literature. Wisdom literature. Like when you have the Old Testament, you have the law or the Torah. That's the first five books of the Bible, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. And then after that, you have the prophets, and then you have the major and minor prophets, then that major and minor doesn't mean more important, less important. That means more to say, less to say, meaning the prophets that had big books and the prophets that had small books. But then there are obviously the book of the Psalms, but wisdom literature would be Proverbs, Ecclesiastes, and Song of Solomon. Proverbs, Ecclesiastes, and Song of Solomon. Because when you look at these things, these things are written really as commentary on the rest of the story. Proverbs, Ecclesiastes, and Song of Solomon are not really pushing the story forward. They are rather giving poetic commentary on things that are learned elsewhere in the book or of the Bible, or they are there for the purpose of wisdom. Now, what's, what's interesting is the way each of them are written. Um, let's just focus on, and also Job would be in there as well. Uh, Job would be considered wisdom literature. Um, but if we just took two of the wisdom books, it's Proverbs. Proverbs has an essential formula throughout the whole book, which is, if you'll do this, this will happen. That's the essential formula of Proverbs. Train up a child in the way he should go, and when he is old, he will not depart from it. Ecclesiastes doesn't have that verse, but if Ecclesiastes did have that verse, Ecclesiastes is not written like Proverbs. Ecclesiastes would not say, train up a child in the way he should go, and when he is old, he will not depart from it. It would be, train up a child in the way he should go, and set aside money that when he gets in jail, you'll be able to bail him out. <laughs> that, that is Ecclesiastes. It's a very, very raw view of the world. And it's kind of like there's a conversation, I've heard it put this way before by a theologian, that when you read Proverbs, Proverbs is bright, it's hopeful, it is schoolboy, schoolgirl wisdom. You do this, this will happen. It's come, you do this, this will be good, it'll be great. And then Ecclesiastes comes along and says, oh yeah, you do all that and your life is still going to fall apart and you're going to die. And it's this constant like going back and forth. Now, both of those are scripture. Both of those are scripture. But it's kind of like Proverbs has a very innocent, inexperienced view of life in some things. And Ecclesiastes comes along and says, yeah, I've lived longer than you have, and let me tell you what's really happening. Likely, they were written by the same person. Likely, both books were written by Solomon. And then we have this together. And both of these things are here for our instruction. So when you get to Ecclesiastes, Ecclesiastes chapter 3, Solomon is talking at this point, and I'm going to say I believe it was written by Solomon. He is talking about and expanding on this idea of the vanity of life. Now, if you have the KJV, it says vanity 
Other translations say meaningless. It occurs all the way throughout the book of Ecclesiastes. And it doesn't, the, the original Hebrew carries a different idea. It's not so much vanity and meaningless as if life lacks purpose, even though that's part of it. The bigger picture is this, is that it's just passing away. It's so short. It's just a vapor. It's just passing away. And this is the writer of Ecclesiastes. This is his biggest beef with life. And this is his biggest argument with Proverbs. You do everything you're supposed to do, and you still die. It's just passing away. So in Ecclesiastes chapter number 3, we get to this place where he's talking about life. So we're going to talk today about longing for home. Let's look at Ecclesiastes chapter 3, verses 9 through 13. The teacher says, What gain has the worker from his toil? I have seen the business that God has given to the children of man to be busy with. He has made everything beautiful in its time. Also, he has put eternity in the man's heart, yet so that he cannot find out what God has done from the beginning to end. I perceive that there is nothing better for them to do than be joyful and do good as long as they live. Also that everyone should eat and drink and take pleasure in all his toil. This is God's gift to man. That needs to be on a t-shirt, right? Our scripture today speaks about life. So our main statement is this. We were made for home. We're made for home, and not just home, but we are made to thrive in a home. I want you to listen to Genesis chapter 1, verses 28 through 29. These are verses that you know. After God makes humanity... Man and woman, in Genesis 1, he issues these words. And God blessed them and God said to them, Be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it. And have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the skies or the heavens and over every living thing that moves on the earth. And God said, Behold, I have given you every plant yielding seed that is on the face of all the earth, and every tree with seed and its fruit. You shall have them for food. Here's what I want you to see in this first part of this verse. God said to man, Be fruitful and multiply. He's saying, Man, not only live, I want you to thrive. Enjoy Enjoy all that I have made for you and fill the earth, meaning grow your home, grow the family, and subdue it. Make it your home. That the command, the first command of God is to grow a family and make a home and enjoy the earth that God has given to you and me. We are made for a home. God makes man, and God makes man for a home. In fact, when you look at the creation story, God made the home first, and then placed the man in it to keep it. So, when we look at Ecclesiastes 3, 
There are three great gifts, according to Ecclesiastes 3, that God has given all humans. Look in verse 9 again. What gain has the worker from his toil? I have seen the business that God has given to the children of man to be busy with. He has made everything beautiful in its time. According to Ecclesiastes 3, there's three gifts that all people are given. Number one is time. You and I have been given existence. We've been given life. We are here. And God is, according to Ecclesiastes 3, made everything beautiful in its time. It is a privilege to be here on this earth. Echoing back again to Genesis, because that's where we've been in building this out and looking at the soul. Genesis chapter 2 and verse 7, a verse that we looked at last week. Then the Lord God formed the man of dust from the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life. And man became a living creature. Living. The time clock started. God gave man time. You and I have a time for existence. Uh, it's not going to be on the screen, but look at the very first part in your Bible of Ecclesiastes 3. Verse 1, for everything there is a season and a time for every matter under heaven. A time to be born, a time to die, a time to plant, a time to pluck up what is planted, a time to kill, a time to heal, a time to break down, a time to build up, a time to weep, a time to laugh, a time to mourn, a time to dance, a time to cast away stones, and a time to gather stones together, a time to embrace, and a time to refrain from embracing, a time to seek, and a time to lose, a time to keep, and a time to cast away, a time to tear, and a time to sow, a time to keep silence, a time to speak, a time to love, a time to hate, a time for war, a time for peace. God has given us time. But not only has God given us time, notice the scripture says that he has made everything, looking back in verse number 11, beautiful in its time. That God not only gave us time and existence, he gave us beauty within that time and existence. In Genesis chapter 2, verses 8 and 9, if we were crawling through, we looked at verse 7. Genesis 2, 8 and 9, after God makes the man breathes into his nostrils the breath of life, and gives man time. What's the first thing that God does after that? Verses number eight, and the Lord God planted a garden in Eden in the east, and there he put the man whom he had formed. And out of the ground the Lord God made to spring up every tree that is pleasant to the sight and good for food. The tree of life was in the midst of the garden and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. So from the beginning, God gives man time and then he puts the man in this home that he has made for him and then he makes the home beautiful. God has given us time and God has given us beauty. These are gifts of God that all people possess for living here in this world. But there's one other gift that comes from Genesis and it's talked about here in Ecclesiastes 3, and it's the gift of work, the gift of work. Now, you may be thinking, wait a second, I've read Genesis 3, I thought work came as a result of the fall. 
Well, the difficulty in work came as a result of the fall, that thorns and thistles will now be brought forth and man will have to work by the sweat of his brow and work will be hard and ultimately your work is going to kill you, according to Genesis chapter 3. But before Genesis chapter 3, when it comes to work, work is talked about before the fall in Genesis 2. Before we look at Genesis 2, look at verse 9 again. What gain has the worker from his toil? Um, Also, if you look down in verse number 12, I perceive there is nothing better for them to do than be joyful and, uh, and to do good as long as they live. And everyone should eat and drink and take pleasure in all his toil or work that is God's gift to man. So God gave us time, beauty, and work. Listen to Genesis 2.15. It'll be on the screen. This is before man fell in the garden. The Lord God took the man and put him in the garden of Eden to work it and to keep it. That we are made to work, but not a toilsome laborsome, pointless work. It's kind of like, gosh, you just sweep the house and then five seconds later you've got to do it all over again because if you have little people in your house like I do, what does it matter? Because it's just going to get messy again. Or you, you weed your garden and, and then three days later the weeds are back. There's this sense that work is hard and sometimes it can be fruitless and pointless. But in the beginning, work was created as a gift that we might find pleasure in the work of our hands. And these three great gifts that God has given all humanity, whether you believe in him or not, God has given all humanity time, beauty, and work according to Ecclesiastes chapter 3. Now, keep in mind that Solomon is processing the way life works. And we move into this next principle. After we acknowledge that there are gifts that God has given to man, Here's this next thing. Our souls search for significance are in a constant battle with the shortness of our lives. Our souls search for significance is in a constant battle with the shortness of our lives. We are born with a sense that we will live forever. We are born with a sense that we will live forever. And the reason that's there is because God placed it there. Children, for the most part, teenagers, do not have a sense of dying like adults do. Now sometimes, like if death has come untimely to your home, like it has mine, my children talk about death way more than the normal kid. My five-year-old Ainsley Caroline talks frequently about death and going to heaven and dying and like mom and dad when are you going to die she even asked my dad over christmas um uh when do you think you will die it was interesting to hear his response um but anyway it's because death has come in untimely fashion to our home she's lost a brother but Typically, when we're born, we're not thinking about dying. 
when we're young, we're not thinking about dying. And the older you get, and the more life that you see, the more you realize the fragility of life. I've noticed that even in my own life. On Mother's Day, I fell at the boat ramp. Somebody told me, that's why it happened. It was Mother's Day, and you were fishing. What were you thinking, preacher? Um, well, we had a nice morning with Andrea, and I called my mother, and Andrea said, why don't you go fishing? I'm not going to say no. Uh, well, yes, ma'am. I think that's a great idea. So, but anyway, 2021, I fell, and I broke my shoulder, and it began a journey of complications that lasted. I uh, just finally had surgery to fix it and, uh, in September. I'm doing a lot better now. But I have noticed... Because since I fell and got injured, I've noticed how it's affected my awareness of situations now. Like, for instance, I was walking through the garage, and in the walkway uh, between the vehicles and the refrigerator in the garage, there was a little skateboard. And I, was look- I walked, and I-, I looked at that, and... When you have children like I do, those kinds of things are everywhere, like little cars and baby dolls and all kinds of things that you can step on. And they're just left there, of course, because, I mean, it would be a sin to put things away. Um, So I remember seeing that skateboard and having this thought, looking at it, and this is after, probably a year after my injury, and I thought, that is death right there like that somebody is going to die like and what is what has happened to me and just a silly little thing when it comes to falling in just that word by the way if you were to say pick one of my children did you hear lucy fell everybody go oh was she all right now if i said Y'all, Brother Randy fell. Or even me, Matt fell. What's your response? Oh my gosh, did you have to go to the hospital? Is everyone okay? Why? Because the older we get, and that's not discriminatory towards people with age. Happens to all of us, it's happening to me. The older we get, the more we realize the fragility that comes with life. One more story. When I was growing up in Memphis, my family moved to Memphis when I was 11. I had a good friend who's now a pastor in Olive Branch. His name is Luke Saunders. At the time, my family lived in a place called Germantown, Tennessee, right there next to Memphis. And we had a pool in our backyard. And uh, I was there with my friend Luke, and I think we were about 13, 14 years old. And we thought it would be a great idea to create a rope swing and to swing into the pool off of the roof of the house. Now, there was an issue. We didn't have a rope. So we had to get creative and decided to use the water hose. Um... And so, tying off the water hose in a tree, we proceeded to climb onto the roof of the house. And I remember sitting on the roof of the house, 
He went first, thank God. Um, and I remember thinking as he's like, man, this is going to be fun. There was a part of me that was like, this is a bad idea. And it was, water hoses are not made to hold weight, okay? Do not ever try that at home. It snapped immediately. He went straight down into the hedges, and we had a good laugh about it once we realized he wasn't dead. Um, but here's the thing. I don't do that stuff anymore. Why? Because I realize that there's a fragility that comes with life. And the older you get, the more you realize, you know what, I'm not going to live forever even though there's a something within my soul because he has placed eternity in my heart that longs to be here forever. So we are born with a sense that we will live forever because God placed it here. Also, we are born with a sense of life and that it matters because God placed it here. I want you to look again in verse 11. And he has made everything beautiful in its time. And he has put eternity into man's heart. So we have this sense of longing to understand our purpose in the universe. Yes, he's put it there. But notice, yet so that he cannot find out what God has done from the beginning to the end. So it's kind of weird. We have this sense that our life matters. And that we're longing for more. Eternity has been placed in our hearts that we are made for somewhere else. And we're going to get to those things. But even there, it's somewhat of a mystery. And when these two things put together, it leads us to once we live long enough, we lose confidence in both of these things. It's Ecclesiastes chapter 3 and verses 18 through 21. Keep in mind, this is the same author that writes the book of Proverbs. Listen to what he says. I said in my heart with regard to the children of man that God is testing them and that they may see that they themselves are but beasts. For what happens to the children of man and what happens to the beasts is the same. As one dies, so dies the other. They all have the same breath. And man has no advantage over the beasts, for all is vanity. It's just vapors going away. All go to one place. All are from dust, and to dust all return. Who knows whether the spirit of man goes upward and the spirit of the beast goes down to the earth. Our souls and the fact that God has placed eternity in our hearts that we want to live forever. We have this sense that we should live forever and that our life should matter and have significance and be beautiful. All of that comes from God's creative purposes. And life is a major letdown when life is not beautiful, it's too short, and it's unfulfilling because we have this great sense that it should be. Why? Because God placed that sense there. The final thing today is the sense of our souls and the reality of death tells us something about us. The sense of our souls, the sense that we think we're going to live forever and we feel that we should, <coughs> also that our life should matter and our work should matter, should tell us something about ourselves. 
And number one, it's this. We were made to live forever and our lives matter. When you look at Genesis, God made man and woman to live forever and to work and keep the garden. To live forever in a beautiful life with significance, fulfillment, and purpose. So when you have this ongoing frustration with life of goodness, life is so short, or life is so complicated, or I'm trying to do everything I'm supposed to, I'm doing everything the Bible says, and my kids are still making these decisions. Or, or, you know what, I tithe, I give, I try to be a good steward with my money, and then yet look at my investments right now. I'm just so frustrated. What is the rub that is going on there? The reason we expect things to go right and we expect things to go good and we expect to have meaning and purpose and want to live forever is because that's what we were originally made to do. And the reason we don't is because we were made for somewhere else. We all know that having a beautiful life, living forever, and having fulfillment in everything we do is not the reality of everyday life. You may get glimpses of it here every now and again in your life, but we all know we're going to die. We all know that even our greatest works will most likely be ultimately forgotten. How many of you know the name of your grandparents, their first names? Lift your hand. What about your great-grandparents? Lift your hand. What about your great-great-grandparents? Wow. Great, great, great. (laughs) All right. We're getting back. That's, That's just one or two greats. You don't even know their names. And our children won't know ours. Why? Because according to Solomon, he's reminding us, this life passes away. And even in that thought right there, we should know the names of our great, great, great grandparents. They had lives and it mattered. You know where that comes from? The deep sense of having eternity placed in your heart that you were made to live forever and for your life to be beautiful and has significance. And that tells me you were made for somewhere else because you can't do those things where we are now. The reason we don't is because we were made for somewhere else. And the reason we are not there, if we are made for somewhere else, why are we not there? I picked this up this morning on my way out of the house. I got permission because even though I live there, I still need permission to do things. Um, This is the welcome mat that sits in front of our house. It says hello And um, anyway, when you see this in front of our house, it's there for a reason. We're expecting somebody to come through our door. And we want them to be welcome. Now, this next principle, the reason we are not there, the place where we can enjoy all of those things, is because we are exiled into the wilderness I'm riffing off of imagery from Genesis. Once Adam and Eve sinned, they were taken out of the place where they were given eternal time, forever time, matchless beauty, and never-ending fulfillment. 
And they were taken out of that heavenly home on earth where everything was right and put into the wilderness with thorns and thistles where people sweat and die. And you read the next chapter where children kill each other. This broken place where we have been exiled. So here's the question. Why don't we just go home? And if God's supposed to be good and loving, why would he exile us, right? Well, let's talk a second about exiles. Exiles are exiled because of the threat they pose to themselves or the others at home. If you know history, Napoleon was exiled out of France. Why? Because the powers at the time noted that he would be a threat to the stability of the nation if he is at home. What it means to be exiled is you're a threat to what's here, so we're going to send you out. Genesis chapter 3, 22 through 23, And the Lord God said, Behold, the man has become like one of us, knowing and knowing good and evil. Now lest he reach out his hand and also take of the tree of life and live forever. Therefore the Lord God sent him out from the garden of Eden to work the ground from which he was taken. Why are we not in the place of forever time, matchless beauty, and never-ending fulfillment? Because we've been kicked out. We have been exiled. And we've been exiled because we were a threat to that beautiful place because of sin. You see, an exile is not headed home. An exile is not welcome home. For instance, if you were to drive by someone's house or property and you saw a bunch of razor wire and a bunch of Rottweilers in the front yard, you don't think like, I wonder if I could just knock on the door and see if anyone's at home. No, it's clear nobody is welcome there. Listen, God left some Rottweilers at the entrance to the garden. Listen, Genesis 3.24, And he drove out the man and east of the Garden of Eden, and he placed the cherubim, cherubim is plural, that means two of these creaturely things, they probably look like Rottweilers, and he placed these things and a flaming sword, razor wire so to speak, that turned every which way to guard the way to the tree of life. Well, that's not very nice. Telling your kid they can't come home, and if you try to come home, you're going to have to go through the dogs and the razor wire. Why would he do that? But there's one more thing, and I want to say this as we close, because this message will have to go forward next week. God exiled us, yes, but he didn't erase the eternal longing of souls. He left within us as an echo of home. He left it within us as an echo from home. The reason we think we're living forever is because we're from the place you do. The reason we expect life to be perfect and beautiful and are offended when it's not is because we're from the place where it is. And the reason that we want our lives to matter and have lasting significance, it's because we're from the place where it does. And we have that sense within us, even though this constant rub of death is going on around us, telling us, you don't matter. So why would God pull up the welcome map? Well, in short, and I don't have time to tell you the whole gospel message. 
if God would have allowed us to stay in the garden as sinners, that place where there was nothing but beauty and fulfillment and life would have become just like the wilderness in which we live. We would have destroyed the beautiful thing that we long for in our hearts. That's why God kicked us out and pulled up the welcome mat. But here is the gospel. The gospel is not God inviting you to come home. The gospel is that Jesus, God himself, left home to come and get us. To take us to the place where we could never go on our own. These longings of our soul, this eternity placed in our heart, those are all echoes that are there because you're supposed to live forever. You are supposed to live a beautiful life and your life is supposed to matter. And Jesus has come to ensure that those things are not just not forgotten, but are not left unfulfilled. So today, as we move into a time of response, and as you think about these things, I want you to ask yourself, because we all deal with big questions that we talked about today. Have you come to the place where you have trusted in Jesus and you've understood that the reason these longings are here in your heart is because you've been looking for something more. Friends, heaven is real. God is real. Those longings and desires in your heart can be met. But they are met in God coming to us. And if you've not done that, I'd be happy to tell you more about that this morning. Perhaps God is working in your heart today to be a part of First Baptist Church of Tupelo. We just had a new members class this past week and 14 people in there. Maybe you want to come and be a part. And if God is leading you to do that, won't you do that at this time?